I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. And the text that we'll be looking at today is found in chapter 18 and verse 24. But I'm going to be reading verse 17, or chapter 17, verse 17, and also chapter 18 and verse 24. We've been studying for some time the book of Proverbs, looking at major themes from this book. We spent some time considering the overarching theme of the book of Proverbs, and that is the fear of the Lord. And then we've considered other themes that are prominent in the book. We considered sexual purity, and then we looked at the sluggard. And last week we began a two-message study on true friendship. Proverbs 17 and verse 17. <clears throat> First, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. And then chapter 18 and verse 24. A man of many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Let's pray together. Lord, Father, how we pray that you would take these things that we have just read and these things that we will consider and expand upon, that you would help us to have the mind of Christ, that the same Spirit who inspired Solomon to write these things would be that Spirit that illuminates our hearts, opens our eyes, gives us a desire to live in light of these truths. So, Lord, leave us not to ourselves, not me as a preacher, not all of us as hearers, but we pray that you would do your perfect work in the hearts of your people. You would make this to be a living word, a word by which they would grow in the image of the incarnate word, even the Lord Jesus Christ. And it would be a word to those who are outside of Christ, who are strangers to grace, and who are without hope and without you in this world, that it would be a living word, that you would give it power to bring them into the kingdom of God. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last time we considered the love of a true friend from these verses. And we saw, first of all, a description of a true friend's love. And then we sought to demonstrate it with apt examples and illustrations from the Bible. <clears throat> and then we considered the fidelity of a true friend, which comes out very plainly in these two verses. He loves at all times. He's a brother that's born for adversity. He's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Now this morning, after having considered last week the love of a true friend and the fidelity of a true friend, I'd like us to consider three qualities of a true friend. Of course, there are many, many others even in the book of Proverbs, but these themes come to the fore. These themes are illustrated in other portions of the Word of God. And what our text teaches us, Proverbs 18 and verse 24, that a man of many friends may come to harm. And therefore, true friends are known not by their quantity, but by their quality. We began to ponder this truth last Lord's Day when we began opening up these two verses. The friend described in these verses, he's not a, a, a run-of-the-mill, he's not a fair-weather friend. In fact, he's a foul-weather friend. He is born for adversity. Such are true friends. The only kind of friends really worth having. They love us at all times. They support us through thick and thin. They are bred for trial and trouble. But more to the point of Solomon, such friends are not only the ones worth having, they are the friends worth being. This has a very practical personal application to us here this morning. 
And we saw that only one person perfectly qualifies as that ever faithful, never failing friend, the one who loves at all times, who sticks closer than a brother. He is the friend of sinners. That person is Jesus Christ. And it matters not whoever else our friends may be if the Lord Jesus Christ is not our Savior and our friend. And to apply Solomon's point, if Jesus is our friend, we will seek by His grace to be to others the kind of friend that He is to us. He's our Savior, and He's our great example. In our time on earth, we will have but very few Christ-like friends. We should not be surprised at this. A servant is not above his master. Our Lord, who showed himself friendly to all men, was received as the friend of but a very few. But he was received and he was embraced by all those that had been chosen according to the sovereign will of the Father. John chapter 1, verses 11 through 13. Speaking of Christ, he came to his own but those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name, who were not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. They are born of God. Now the self-righteous crowd rankled at those who received Jesus. They regarded them as riffraff. They regarded them uh, as undesirables, as the offscouring of the earth. We read, the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners. It was, they were scandalized by that. This man fraternizes with the riffraff of the world. How dare he do that? He's the savior of, of Israel? And he throws in with the likes of these kind of people? But the Spirit of God views things far otherwise. We read these words, Yet wisdom is vindicated by her children. Now, I cannot forbear a practical lesson at this point. Jesus found, and so do we, that converted sinners make the very best kind of friends. Jesus' grace makes such friends tried and found true. They're faithful. They're not fickle. As the cross loomed before our Savior, our rejected Lord said to those he received as his disciples and enrolled as his apostles, what we read in, in Luke 22 and verse 28. Jesus said to them, And you are those who have stood by me in my trials. Jesus is saying that you have been a friend at all times. That you are a brother born for adversity. You are a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He had been to them. They were becoming to, to be to him and to others what he had been to them. You may remember Jesus' question to the disciples on the occasion of his desertion by a multitude of professed followers. And then Peter's answer on behalf of his brethren. Jesus said in Luke, or excuse me, John 6, verses 67, in verse 68, Jesus said, therefore, to the twelve, there arose many that no longer walked with him. They walked away from him. They left in mass. You do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We know what we've looked for, and by the grace of God found in you, they may have left you, and by your grace, we're not going to leave you.
They came to understand that Jesus, who was the author, would be the finisher of their faith. They would not apostatize. They would stay with him, even though they abandoned him at one point, they would prove, after all, true friends. Christian, God's preserving grace enables you to stand by Christ. That grace also enables you to stand by your brethren, to be the friend that loves at all times, to be the friend that sticks closer to you than a brother, to be to them as Jesus is to you. Psalm 101, verse 6. My eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, David says, that they may dwell with me. They are my close confidants, you see. He who walks in a blameless way is he who will minister to me. Do you seek that kind of friends? Do you seek to be that kind of friend? <clears throat> David and his godly friends encouraged each other to follow the Lord. Psalm 119, verse 63. David says, I am a companion of all those who fear thee and of those who keep thy precepts. Godly friends are as precious as they are few. They are worth more than their weight in gold. And may the Lord prevent us then from adopting the foolish notion that we may compromise with the world in order to win the world while remaining faithful to the Lord. Luke 6 and verse 26, Jesus said, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for in the same way their fathers used to treat the false prophets. Spurgeon states the matter pointedly. Dangerous, then, is the position of the favorite of mankind. If the ungodly mass love a man, God loves him not. Know that you will not be regarded as the darlings of this wicked world if you are a faithful friend of Christ and of his people. That just goes with the turf, brethren. We must ask ourselves, what does it profit me if I were to gain a whole world of friends at the cost of losing my soul? Well, the doctrine I want us to consider this morning is that the influence of friends, whether for good or for ill, is hard to exaggerate. Listen again to Proverbs 18 and verse 24. A man of many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Or as the New American Standard 1995 reads, a man of too many friends comes to ruin. Now your translation, if you have not a more modern translation, will read differently than mine, which is the New American Standard. You see, all translations of, of Proverbs 18 and verse 24 are virtually identical since there is no difficulty in translation. But the first clause of this verse may be translated differently in your Bible. And the problem comes from the phrase, translating the phrase, must himself be friendly, which renders a very difficult Hebrew word. Modern translations usually render the first clause of verse 24 in one of three different ways, <clears throat> none of which follow the King James or the New King James that reads, a man who has friends must himself be friendly, or something similar to that. Some versions give this word the meaning to destroy or to ruin, as does the NASB. The ESV reads similarly, a man of many companions may come to ruin. The Holman's Study Bible, a man of, with many friends may be harmed. Another translation of this difficult word places the problem with false so-called friends. The old Revised Standard Version reads, there are friends who pretend to be friends. Another translation interprets 
The word is a form of, of to shout or to chatter, referring to the superficial conversations of such friends. That's how the New English Bible renders the first part of verse 24. Some companions are good only for idle talk. The Amplified Bible's paraphrase of the first clause exposes the evil impact of the man with many friends upon his own friends. It reads, the man of many friends, then it says in parentheses, a friend of the world will prove himself a bad friend. Trustworthy commentators of the Hebrew Old Testament text, Kyle and Delich, express Solomon's probable meaning. To have such a friend that sticks closer than a brother is better than to have many of the so-called friends. And as appears from the contrast, to him who is so fortunate as to have one such friend, there comes a blessing and safety. A man who sets himself to gain many friends comes finally to be a loser, for he squanders his means and is impoverished in favor of others. A man of many friends comes to ruin. And if you've lived long in this world and you've tried to befriend a mass of people to bring them into your circle, you're going to find that this statement is certainly true. You don't have very many friends that stick closer than a brother. A brother like friend who's born for adversity. How many do you have? Can you count them on all your fingers and toes? Maybe just your hands. Maybe just one hand. And maybe not very many fingers. Solomon teaches that a true friend is constant. He loves at all times. He is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. So let us this morning consider three chief qualities of this kind of true friend from the book of Proverbs. Let each one of us ask ourselves, am I this kind of friend? First of all, a true friend is peaceable. Peaceable. You remember that Jesus pronounces a blessing on peacemakers. They prove themselves to be the sons of God. To be a son of God is to be like God. God, who is a peacemaker, his children will be peacemakers. They won't be scrappy and argumentative. They'll seek to be those who encourage peace. Peacemakers make the best friends. They are uniters. They're not dividers. We instinctively trust them and receive them as intimate friends. How unlike this intimate friend, then, is the perverse person who divides friends. Proverbs 16 and verse 28. A perverse man, a man who's twisted, a perverse man spreads strife. And a slanderer, or if you have a King James, a whisperer separates intimate friends. He drives them apart rather than drawing them together. Charles Bridges exposes this divider of intimate friends when he writes, Truly, he is a man of mischief. If he deals not in direct falsehoods, his dark whispers are plain enough to be understood and sure to be exaggerated. The well-meant word or act may be misinterpreted. He has seen or heard probably only a little. He guesses at the rest to make his story complete. In other words, he fills, fills in the missing puzzle pieces with things that are harmful to the reputation of the person that he is slandering. And thus, by this report, half true and half false, he plays with his neighbor's name to his incalculable injury. No wonder that this mischievous gossiper should be classed with the thief and murderer, 1 Peter 4.15. 
For the man who thus loosens the closest ties and breaks up the peace of whole families sins against those commandments which charge crime upon the thoughts, the word, and the principle, as well as the outward act. Matthew chapter 5, 21 and 22, hating a person in your heart. You've murdered him in your heart. Again, we find him in his father's native work, a tempter, a violent man indeed. But combining with loud and overbearing speech enticements for his neighbor to lead the unwary into the way that is not good, his whole soul is filled with this satanic object with which he devises his neighbor's ruin. Brethren, how opposite is the peacefulness of a friend who loves at all times, the brother that's born for adversity. Instead of being a slanderer, he honors and upholds his neighbor's good name, and he defends him against the slanderer. As a church, we recite our covenant duty to each other every time we receive a new member into this body. We read this, among other duties, in the summary of our covenant responsibilities, paraphrasing the Ninth Commandment, practically. We agree to earnestly promote truth among men and to avoid anything that would prejudice the truth or injure our neighbor's good name. You see, the friend that loves all times, the, the brother that's born for adversity, he will be a peacemaker. May God increase this grace in us, and may He increase His tribe amongst us. Further, a peaceable Christian refuses to devise harm against his innocent friend. He refuses to engage him in needless contention. And for this reason we are commanded in Proverbs 3, verses 29 and 30, Do not devise harm against your neighbor while he lives in security beside you. Don't go and upset his life. He's living in peace. Be at peace with him. Do not contend with a man without a cause. There comes a time in in which you have to deal with things, but if you don't have a cause, don't contend with him. If he has done you no harm. Then you might expect then that a peaceable brother will not be vindictive. In fact, he refuses to rejoice in his enemy's falls or be glad when he stumbles into sin. Proverbs 24 and verse 17. He is the man of whom James speaks in chapter 3 and verse 18, whose fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. By his peaceable disposition, a true friend shows that God is his father. He is the son of a peacemaking God. God, by his grace in Christ, you see, he reconciles once hostile sinners to himself. We were at enmity against God. We hated him. We raised our fist in his face. But God subdued us, did he not? He slew the enmity which is in our heart toward him. And we, by His grace, threw down the weapons of our warfare, and He befriended us, and we have become, if we are Christians, the friends of God. A peaceable Christian is like Abraham, who avoided strife with his nephew Lot, deferring to him in many temporal matters. A true friend strives for peace. He strives for peace with others without sacrificing truth or righteousness. It's not peace at any price, not if you have to sacrifice truth and righteousness. This is because a true friend pursues both holiness and peace. And for this reason, we're commanded by the writer of the Hebrews in Hebrews 12 and verse 14, pursue peace. It's the same word translated in in the Gospels as persecute. Chase it down with a holy vengeance. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one 
will see the Lord. If we are not a peacemaking people, we will not see the Lord. We often read that if we just have to pursue sanctification and we'll see the Lord. If we're not pursuing peace, we won't see the Lord either. We will not prove ourselves to be sons of God. So a true friend is peaceable. Secondly, a true friend is truthful. A friend who loves at all times, who is closer than a brother, is also one who loves and speaks and practices the truth. Like Nathaniel, he is a person without guile. And for this reason, we ought never to separate truth and love. Not to defend our right to always tell it like it is, to be brutally truthful. That's not being Christian-like. We're commanded to speak the truth in love. That's the qualification. A true friend, according to Solomon, speaks with a true and a gracious tongue. First of all, a true friend who is truthful does not engage in flattery. Sometimes we think it's real nice to, to exaggerate. Solomon says, a man who flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his steps. You see, flattery, it's the art of telling a person what he wants to hear. Telling him what he thinks about himself. Flattery is never helpful, it's always harmful. Flatterers are thieves who lie to their neighbors to steal something from them or to gain some kind of advantage over them. But true friends are honest. They will rather remain silent than to flatter. Flattery is often used to entice. How many sins have been committed by heeding a flatterer's charm? A person who surrounds himself with flattering friends is a fool. He's placing a trap before himself. He puts himself on the high road destruction. You see, lies that, be, that first deceive, if believed and followed, then destroy. A person can flatter himself all the way into hell. Solomon paints a comical picture of the flatterer, but he does so with a very serious purpose. Proverbs 27 and verse 14. He who blesses his friend with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be reckoned a curse to him. Well, I used to interpret this proverb very literally. You know, it's like going in with a loud voice and, and say, get up, bright eyes, to a person who's not a morning person. He hasn't had his first cup of coffee yet. And you, you, don't, you don't hear that as being encouraging, but say, no, we are to understand the friend's blustery blessing as an untimely, not as an untimely and insensitive greeting, but rather it's an extravagant, insincere praise that masks a sinister purpose. A true friend is a man without guile. He doesn't exaggerate. But this man, by his boisterous blessing, is attempting to butter up his friend in an attempt to get something from him. Remember, a true friend is truthful. He doesn't flatter his friend to pull something over on him. He's, he's gracious to be sure, but he's a straight shooter. He says what he means, and he means what he says. He speaks the truth, but he does so in love and with no sinister purpose. See, what is flattery but a lie dressed up in the garb of truth? It is well-camouflaged dishonesty intended to deceive. Solomon paints another descriptive picture of the flatterer in Proverbs 26, verses 23 through 25. Like an earthen vessel overlaid with silver dross. It's like a common earthy pot and it's covered over with with silver to look like it's a silver article, like it's a silver vase or silver pan, like an earthen vessel overlaid with draw, silver dross, are burning lips and a wicked heart. He who hates disguises it with his lips. 
but he lays up deceit in his heart. One of the Psalms, David speaks about those who spoke with smooth, buttery talk, but their hearts, in their hearts, were daggers. When he speaks graciously, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Beloved, it is an evil bird that preens another, another's feathers. No true friend does this. Moreover, a true friend speaks the truth in love even when it may be inconvenient or risky or even costly. He will perform the difficult duty of love by graciously reproving his brother when the need arises. Friend love is willing and ready to risk a friendship when sin must be addressed. Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. And what is that? That's flattery. Proverbs 28, verse 23. He who rebukes a man will afterward, doesn't say immediately, we know that in our own case, do we not? He who rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with the tongue. Your best friend is the one who tells you the most truth. Proverbs 9 and verse 8. Do not reprove a scoffer, lest he hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Oh, that we may be humble reprovers and gracious, grateful receivers of reproof. Brethren, let me state the matter plainly. It is our stinking pride that makes us hate to be reproved and hard to be corrected. That's what it is at the end of the day. And the fear of man makes us swallow our tongue when brotherly love should open our mouth with a kind reproof. Friend love will enable us to either humbly receive or to gently give a needed correction, remembering the golden rule. We're to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. When we need a reproof, we don't want John Wayne coming in with guns blazing, shooting first and asking questions last, right? How often do we get it wrong when we do that? And we harm rather than help our relationships. Paul's counsel of Galatians 6 and verse 1. Brethren, if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. And that word restore is a great word. It's often used outside of the New Testament of a, a doctor who knits bones back together. He does so very gently and carefully to bring the broken parts back together. He doesn't, I'll get it one of these days. But sometimes that's the way we can be in our reproofs. So a true friend is peaceable, he's truthful. Thirdly, a true friend is tactful. Truthfulness is never an excuse for tactlessness. Consider the tactfulness of Jesus. This glorious Friend of sinners deals with us always plainly, sometimes pointedly, but ever graciously. He is the embodiment of love that does not act becomingly, love that does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rather rejoices with the truth. But be sure of it, love does not make light of or turn a blind eye to iniquity. Some trespass that needs to be addressed. You see, love takes sin seriously. 
And we see this in our Lord's conversation with the woman from Samaria and his exhortation to the woman that was taken in adultery. But he dealt with those women kindly and tactfully. Love will not publicize a brother's private sins, especially when he may reprove them privately. And so the wise king teaches in Proverbs 17 and verse 9, He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. You see, a, a loving brother doesn't address his brother's sins with a bullhorn. He calls him off to the side. He throws the blanket of secrecy over them and they deal with it privately. Private sins are to be dealt with privately. Peter picks up on this. 1 Peter 4 and verse 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. How do you show love for one another? Because love covers a multitude of sins. Further, and though a less serious matter, a true friend will yet show his tactfulness by being sensitive to a brother's privacy. Proverbs 25 and verse 17. Let your foot be rarely uh, be in your neighbor's house, lest he become weary of you and hate you. Such proverbs like this are pretty easy to understand, are they not? You know the old saying, familiarity breeds contempt. A true friend, therefore, is discreet. He's sensitive to a friend's need for privacy. He knows that too frequent visits, especially without invitation, quickly wears out his welcome. The, the lesson is plain. If we would be received with delight rather than disgust, we must be careful not to intrude ourselves, even upon our closest friends, especially if we, if we want them to remain close we need to be careful and respect their privacy. As a single young Christian, I think I was, I was slow to learn this. I was slow to learn that married brethren, particularly those that had kids, didn't need me hanging around their house all the time, especially arriving close to dinner time. I didn't guard this, this saying by being away from my friends. At, at times they didn't need me around. Other Christians, though, may have the opposite problem. Though their foot is rarely in their neighbor's house, their neighbor's foot is rarely in their house, even by invitation. And this evil, likewise, is to be avoided. Rather, let's face it, we are self-centered people. Many of us want our space, and maybe even more than is our fair share. But we are to let everything, whether we are on the giving or on the receiving end of hospitality, be done in love. Let us learn to treat others as more important than ourselves. This Jesus always did. He came not to be served, but what? To serve and to give. Such is the love of a true friend. Finally, the love of a true friend will make us sympathetic to our friend's emotional state and urge us to act appropriately. Love is patient and kind and bears with others. Love does not act unbecomingly. Solomon describes a tactless person out of touch with his friend's distress this way. Proverbs 25 and verse 20. Like one who takes off a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar on soda, is he who sings songs to a troubled heart. Entirely inappropriate in his response. Job's friends showed their greatest kindness when uh, to their distressed companion when they kept their silence. They sat down with him for seven days and didn't say a word. They just commiserated silently with their troubled 
brother. And when they opened their mouths, they only added insult to his injury and just poured salt into his wound. To borrow Solomon's illustration, their callous and short-sighted observations were like yanking a man's coat off in a blizzard. Their bitter criticisms were like the frothing of vinegar on so- in soda. They were not soothing, but unsettling. Not kind, but often cruel. You see, they hurt rather than helping their friend. Singing cheerful songs to a troubled friend or glibly quoting Romans 8.28 may seem even to mock him in his sorrow. Better sometimes to keep silent or to weep with the one who weeps than to run off at the mouth. There's a time to speak and there's a time to remain silent. A time to dance and a time to mourn. How boorish we may be to a hurting brother or sister even when our intentions are well-meaning. I say this reverently, our sensitive Savior was always tactful. He was ever the perfect gentleman. He who was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, always sympathized with and gently ministered to the hurting, sometimes with a word, I suspect other times with only a sigh. How tenderly he dealt with the grieving sisters of deceased Lazarus, weeping with them while knowing that in but few moments they would be singing songs of praise to God. Such a friend is our Jesus. He is the friend that loves at all times, who sticks closer than a brother, even the brother who's born for adversity. He sympathizes with our weakness and is able to show us mercy and grace in time of need. That brings us to a few concluding exhortations this morning. First of all, seek quality over quantity in your friendships. I especially speak to you young people. A man of many friends comes to ruin. Woe to you, Jesus warns, when all men speak well of you. The friends you choose, and especially those you look up to, will either help you or they will hurt you. For time, and maybe for eternity. You who profess to follow Christ, choose the openly godly for your closest friends, whose character you admire, who have qualities to which you aspire. Avoid superficial friendships like the plague that they often are. Yes, we have acquaintances, and yes, we have somewhat superficial friendships. That's true of all of us. But who do you want to be your closest confidant, your your bosom friend, the one that you can trust, the one you know whose back will be up against you through thick and thin? There's just few of those. Friendship inflation, as one writer has put it, is costly. Young people especially, you want loyal friends. You want godly friends. Not those who come and go. You don't want the fickle, you want the faithful. Thomas Watson says, counterfeit friendship is worse than counterfeit money. Invest yourself in true friends. Seek the faithful. They alone are valuable. Forget the fickle and the faithless. Secondly, seek to embody the character traits of those you wish to attract as true friends. Be a friend to them. Be that kind of friend. At least in the realm of friendships, like attracts like. 
Discerning friends want faithful friends. If you want that kind of friend, be that kind of friend. Don't merely look for these qualities and those you would choose as friends. Seek by the grace of Christ to embody these qualities yourself. It'll be good for you as well as being good for them. Be to your friends, especially what Christ is to you, the very best of friends, the one who never fails, the one who never leaves and never forsakes. This you can only do if you're a Christian who studies and imitates Christ by the grace of His Spirit. Put on the graces of Christ if you wish to attract the friends of Christ. Thirdly and finally, seek the friendship of Jesus who is the best of friends. I especially speak to non-Christians here this morning. And let me speak plainly and I trust graciously. Jesus is the friend of sinners. He did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He's not a physician of the whole. He's a physician of the sick. You have to see yourself as you really are. Be honest. Don't flatter yourself. You are a sinner desperately in need of Jesus to save you from your sins and from the wrath of God upon you for them. Jesus is the sinner's friend because he died in the place of all those who trust him to provide the forgiveness of their sins. Entrust your guilty soul to Him, and you will find Him to be the very best of friends. He is the friend that loves at all times. He is the brother that's born for adversity. He is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is the best of all possible friends and the closest of all brothers because He gave His life to save those who trust Him, to deliver them from the wrath of God on their sin. He stood in your place if you trust Him. He took the lightning rod of God's unsparing wrath in your place if you say, Lord Jesus, save me from my sins. I deserve to die under the wrath of God. Jesus didn't deserve to die. He was perfectly holy, but He stood in my place and He died under your wrath. Ask God to give you faith in Jesus Christ. You should trust Jesus because He is our peaceable friend. He has made peace for sinners by His blood upon the cross. We are reconciled to God through Him. Be honest with yourself right now. If you're not in Christ, you're under the wrath of God. You'll never be honest with God before... Until you're honest with yourself. See yourself as you really are. And seek Jesus Christ as the Savior of sinners. Jesus, by His death, enables us to become at peace with God. And those who have been justified by faith in Jesus have peace with God. And those who are at peace with God enjoy the unspeakable peace of God, communicated to them by the indwelling Holy Spirit. You should trust Jesus because He is our truthful friend. He is full of grace and truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. You may count on all of His promises. He will never lie to you. He will never flatter you. He will always tell you the truth. All God's promises are fulfilled in Him. Trust Him and you will always find Him, your true friend who never fails. You should trust Jesus because He is our tactful friend. He speaks as no man ever spoke, full of grace, full of truth. Common people heard Him gladly. Common people still hear Him gladly. So I urge you, hear and heed His word. Hear and live. Hear Him even now. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you shall find rest for your souls.
For my yoke is easy and my load is light. light. Jesus said, the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me, in another hymn wrote, which of all our friends to save us could or would have shed his blood, but our Jesus died to have us reconciled in him to God? This was boundless love indeed. Jesus is a friend in need. Needy friend, Jesus is the friend of sinners. He loves at all times. He'll never leave you or forsake you. You'll never be sorry if you go to him. Countless voices through the ages and even in this room echo a resounding amen. Let's pray. Or Father, how we need such a friend. And that you have befriended sinners in your Son, who came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Lord, if there are any here that have a, an unbiblical view of themselves, who flatter themselves that they're basically good, or at least they're not as bad as, as others who need a Savior, open their eyes to see themselves as they really are. Cause them to look into their foul hearts and cry, unclean, unclean. And then to turn to the Lord Jesus, who is the great physician, can purify them from their spiritual leprosy, save their sinful souls, make them children of the living God with the promise of being welcomed into his eternal kingdom and even now having hope in this world. So Lord, we pray, demonstrate your almighty grace this day and turn sinners into saints and enemies into friend, friends. Extend your kingdom in the world and extend your, your kingdom in, even in our own hearts, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.